the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. My country tears me. Sweet land of liberty of Beyonce. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. And a good morning to you. Thank you so much for being with us. It is a Monday. Start of a great new week. Let's make it outstanding today, shall we? It's nine minutes after nine o'clock on this uh, 14th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Uh, boy, we've got uh, we've got problems in the city of Cleveland. We've known this for a long time, but uh, now we have come to find out that there is no intent to solve the problems of violent crime, rising crime, serious crime in the city of Cleveland. Crime rates are through the roof. Violent crime rates are through the roof. And the number one reason for that has got to be the ridiculous, radical, mayoral administration under Justin Bibb, a weak, feckless, pathetic city council, and a safety director that has no interest whatsoever in strengthening the police force. We are talking about some serious, serious issues here. Did you know this? The city of Cleveland, and we've talked about this in some depth, so you do know this. It was more of a rhetorical question. The city of Cleveland has been some 300 police officers under budgeted staffing levels. 300 
Let me say that number again. 300. Not 30. Two-man patrol cars have long been one-man patrol cars. Now there are sectors of the city not being patrolled at all because they have no anywhere near the staffing level that they need in order to be able to cover all sections of the city safely. That's just the reality of it. 300. Now, sometimes, and we've talked about this too, sometimes they have academy classes that used to have 80 to 100 officers in them that have eight officers in them. Other times they can't get and that they can't even get enough applications to put together an academy class at all. Cops are leaving the city of Cleveland for suburbs of Cleveland. I mean, for example, I just saw a posting for lateral transfers to the city of Westlake police starting at 70, I think it was 72.5 or 78.5, to go work in Westlake. Again, lateral transfers where the crime rate is going to be so much lower, the risk is going to be so much lower, the pay is great. It tops out at some 96 or whatever it is. So really good pay in a much safer city. And you wonder, why isn't every police officer in Cleveland applying? Well, the answer to that is they probably are. To Westlake and other surrounding suburbs and other uh, suburbs and, and areas of the state. For crying out loud, in Washington, cities in Was- the state of Washington, now that's a pretty big move. Not saying anybody's got an appetite for going that far, but, but they're offering $25,000 sign-on bonuses to officers willing to laterally transfer. And, and guess what? It's working. Officers in places like Cleveland are fleeing. Some of them are just quitting the profession altogether. Some of them are taking early retirements, and some of them are making lateral transfers to places where they can actually do their jobs and not be under the heavy-handed uh, you know, fist, if you will, of the Civilian Review Board, the Consent Decree, and all of the other crap that has made policing in the city of Cleveland impossible. So they can't even get applicants to Cleveland which is why the story we're going to cover for you next hour, and I just wanted to start with this morning, is so important. Because we're, we're going to talk a little bit about crime. I'm sure you saw the, the latest uh, flash mob of, of thieves and criminals um, ransacking a Nordstrom store in Los Angeles. They cleaned it out of tens of thousands of dollars in merchandise, about 30 to 50, who just have no fear of arrest. No fear of prosecution, no fear of repercussions or consequences in any way. Just all sieging uh, businesses like this, and this isn't the first, it's just the most recent, <laughs> seizing high-end stores and just just running around like, like, like it's a party, just grabbing armfuls of clothes, uh, racks full of, of, you know, three, four, five hundred dollar purses, and just running out knowing full well, they're never going to be caught. There aren't enough cops there either. Which is why I'm talking about it here closer to home. So Cleveland, already down some 300 officers, had an opportunity to increase those ranks just a little bit during the most recent application process. According to a letter sent by the city council's public safety committee 
to the director of public safety. According to that letter, there were 295 potential cadets. Of those, 110 withdrew on their own. Others failed the physical or the psychological exam. 98 others were just flat-out rejected for reasons other than physical or psychological exams. Only 11 graduated. 11 out of 295 possibles. The question is, is why were those 98 who passed the physical and passed the psychological, why were they rejected? And the answer is, according to multiple reports, and according to the comments of one councilman, Chris Harsh of, of Ward 13, uh, that council has only received vague information about why some of, their rege- some of them were rejected, but that it looks like it could be as a result of social media and not social media comments or posts recently, but social media dating back as far as 10 years. You know what that means? That means young 21, 22, and 23-year-old police, uh, potential police academy cadets who are applying for their job, for this job for the first time, could have been rejected for things they posted on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram when they were 11 years old, 12 years old, 13 years old, because they go back into social media histories a decade. So a 22-year-old cadet applicant, maybe something he wrote when he was 12 or 13 on Twitter, was deemed to be disqualifying. And the question is, is why? Are there any similarities among the 98 officers that could have been officers, rather, 98 who were rejected to bring some manpower to the city of Cleveland police. Now, mind you, I don't want an unqualified police force. You have to really beg, you know, uh, consider the issue. Would it be better to have no cops on the street at all or have cops on the street who are unqualified? I don't want unqualified or underqualified either. But if they are qualified, except for something they wrote on social media five years ago, Eight years ago, ten years ago, when they were kids, we've got some serious questions that need to be asked. And they did, they require some very important answers. Do, are there any similarities amongst these individuals? Well, according to something that I've been told by multiple sources in Cleveland Police, there is, some, there is a similarity. And uh, it has to do with how the officers look. And when you consider the comments made last year, or maybe it was earlier this year, was it in the springtime when Carrie Howard talked about how there are too many white Irish police officers? You remember that? He was forced to issue an apology for suggesting that there are too many white Irish cops? It would indicate that he, and thus they, are only interested in hiring Minority cops. And while there's absolutely nothing wrong with minority cops, the idea that somebody might be rejected because of their skin color based on something they tweeted when they were little kids 
preteens even. This is astounding. The city of Cleveland is a hot mess of crime. There are nowhere near enough cops to to bring it under some sort of manageable control, and they're rejecting cops potentially, or rejecting applicants to become cops, potentially based on skin color and using social media as the excuse. This is an incredible, an incredible situation. Kerry Howard, the director of the Department of Public Safety, he's the one who said there's too many white Irish cops, offered the following excuse for their decisions. Quote, we will not sacrifice quality over quantity to address public safety. We're doing everything possible to recruit, attract, and retain the next generation of officers who fit our values around constitutionally appropriate, appropriate policing. You can, you can pause there and infer what you will. I know what I think it sounds like. Officers who fit our values around constitutionally appropriate policing. What a strange choice of words. As if to say what? Certain officers can't protect the constitutional rights of all citizens when they're policing them? Which ones would those be? Kerry? Sacrificing quality only undermines the progress that we've made under the consent decree. And there it is. Since 2014. Hence why the administration has a police accountability team, community police commission, and continues to invest in new training that meets 21st century policing standards. We have high standards because the public, through the passage of issue 24, has made it clear they demand best-in-class officers. And we know what that means. This civilian review board filled with cop haters doesn't want white Irish cops. Just like Kerry Howard doesn't. Cop haters. And they believe that cops are systemically racist, so they're only trying to hire minority cops. Our public safety forces must consist of the best and brightest officers because the public deserves nothing less. We also owe that to our current officers and their families to ensure they can count on qualified and competent colleagues. Can you believe this? Council also said that the department has already lost another 99 officers fleeing this city this year alone. And if it continues at this rate, the division of police would fall to such a low level they will be unable to provide even basic police coverage. It will be a war zone. It will be a war zone in downtown Cleveland, in the neighborhoods of Cleveland, particularly on the east side of Cleveland, and the victims will be multitudinous. And the victims will be overwhelmingly minorities. Why? Because the overwhelming majority of crime is interracial crime, not intraracial crime, which means it's done within the same communities. Of the, in other words, black communities, black criminals prey on black victims. In white communities, white criminals prey on white victims. That's very standard and easily provable. It's not a secret. The unfortunate reality is far more of those crimes are committed in the black communities, and that means without any policing whatsoever, there will be more black victims. This is an astounding development. 
We're going to talk about it in depth at 1010 this morning, next hour, with Mike Polensic, city councilman. I'm going to get his thoughts on what they're going to do about this. We're going to get his thoughts on what Kerry Howard has said, both in the present and in the past. And we're going to talk about um, whether or not you feel safe in Cleveland. I got a news for you. I don't even like going downtown. I've seen enough videos enough ja- of enough jackings and enough beatings and enough attacks. People pumping their gas at a downtown gas station and being jumped. I, I don't want to be down there. Do you? I'll take your calls at 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Yes, we have a lot of other things to talk about. Yes, David Weiss being named special prosecutor is there. Yes, Hunter Biden is still there. Yes, Articles of impeachment have been introduced and so much more. I welcome you to be with us. 216-901-0945. We'll pledge after this. Okay, 927. Always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Do you remember uh, the the Carrie the Howard uh, uh, little row that happened? And I couldn't remember if it was last year or earlier this spring. It was kind of in between. It was in the winter. It was February. Cleveland Safety Director Carrie Howard actually uh, touted an all-black psychological team that his office uses to vet recruits. And he described American policing origins as... Irish to the point that we have bagpipes and kilts and all this green when we celebrate it. Cleveland Police Patrolmen's Association, hearing the derogatory remarks about Irish cops, actually had a vote of no confidence on safety director Kerry Howard because of the blatant bias that he showed toward white Irish cops. Patrolmen's Association will not accept an apology from Kerry Howard, According to their statement, the only solution to his blatant bias would be termination. Howard was uh, in an attendance, or in attendance rather, during Justin Bibbs' uh, a little press conference to talk about uh, the terrible situation down in Memphis, a brutal beating down there. And Kerry Howard, Howard was there, and he addressed how Cleveland police can rebuild and, attra- and attract more young people to the force, saying, quote, Irish at the time were not considered white. The Irish flooded the police departments. The Irish flooded fire departments. The Irish flooded safety forces to the point that we have bagpipes and kilts and all this green when we celebrate it. When we see a problem, when we talk about rebuilding, we are at a critical critical time. We can absolutely rebuild. Days later, uh, Cleveland FOP President James O'Malley said the comments were not sitting well with Irish police rank and file saying, quote, it's a stereotype, kind of like the drunk Irishman, which is obviously offensive. That's the context we're getting from it. I'm surprised in this day and age when we're trying to build bridges through community meetings and having conversations that would put stereotypes aside to not talk about kilts and the Irish were always policemen and things like that. It's a stereotypical statement. Well, they did vote no confidence on Kerry Howard. And the fact is, Kerry Howard is still on the job. And Kerry Howard is rejecting cops, perhaps because they're white, in a city that is desperate for cops. It's an unbelievable story. All right, before we get to our 930 news, let's do what we always do. Let's stand and face our flag. Put your hand on your heart and join us for a Pledge of Allegiance. If you support racial discrimination when it comes to hiring cops because you think white cops are more dangerous, 
then you don't understand the flag at all. You have no respect for its liberty. You may instead take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. We're going to break here. We'll come back, take some calls at 216-901-094. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. Okay, 935. Thanks for being with us on Always Right Radio. AM 1420, The Answer. So um, the CPPA was back in um, February, February 15th. They did hold that no-confidence vote for safety director uh, Carrie Howard. Um, This was the result. 868 to 38. 95.8% of the members of the union voted that they uh, agree with the position of no confidence in Howard. They wanted him fired. They wanted him to resign. He didn't. Justin Bibb, while issuing a statement, uh, kind of condemning discrimination of any kind, did also say that Howard works hard each and every day to keep our city safe for all residents. He has a wealth of knowledge and experience and is committed to accountability for himself and his department. I have full confidence in his ability to continue to lead the Department of Public Safety. So in other words, uh, he looked at the police union's vote of no confidence and issued them two great big double middle fingers. That's what he did and said, I have confidence in him. Well, here we are six months later. And 98 police officers who passed the physical test and passed the psychological test and were otherwise qualified to be in the uh, police force, they were passed over because of social media history. And as I said, some of that can extend back to the time when they were teenagers or pre-teenagers, 11, 12, 13 years old, because they go back 10 years. What could they have said that would have led to their their uh, their uh, dismissal as candidates, according to Councilman Harsh, some some of the social media history included quote racism, some sexism, some homophobia, and things like that. End quote. Now, what I find very interesting about that is they made general statements like that, but as Harsh said, quote, they have not provided any detail on why they were disqualified. What would be, quote-unquote, racism? Well, according to sources that I've spoken with, some of what Carrie Howard and others who determine who gets into the academy or not, they disagreed, or excuse me, they supported police officers who boycotted the Browns game back when the Browns players in the NFL started their wokeness, and... um um supported the kneeling of the of the players during the national anthem during a lot of that Colin Kaepernick crap police officers refused to work the browns game because of what the nfl was doing uh it was because of kaepernick and also because of what a tennessee titans running back uh had said and individuals who supported the police boycott of that game um, were considered to then be racist because they they were supporting something uh, that was believed to be racist against quote unquote Black Lives Matter. 
That's insanity. You know how easy it is to be branded racist on social media today? You know how easy it was to be branded a racist for eight solid years of the Obama administration? Criticize Barack Obama. That's it. Criticize Barack Obama and you were a racist. I wonder how many of these potential applicants said something critical of Barack Obama. You know as well as I do, it was one of the number one reasons he was elected, and it was a perfect suit of armor. We've talked about this. We talked about it for eight years. It was a perfect coat of armor. It deflected any criticism. Say something about Barack Obama's policies on the economy and say it negatively, and bing, your criticism bounced off of him because he's black. You can't say that. You can't say that. And so the criticism doesn't get to stick. You only don't want a black president. Criticize the uh, the hostage exchange for Bo Bergdahl. Criticize the, the pallets of cash going to Iran. You just don't want a black president. Racist, bing. Anything that was said was deflected by his color. And if you criticize the him or criticize that fact, well, you're a racist. Therefore, you can't be. Homophobia and sexism is on here, too according to what, I've, what I'm reading. So what does that mean? If you say that you believe men are men and women are women, oh, you're homophobe, transphobe maybe even, you're disqualified. If you say, I truly believe that only women can get pregnant, you're homophobe, you can't be a Cleveland cop, particularly if you're saying those things as a white person. This is an astounding thing. They're willing to sacrifice the safety of the city of Cleveland over their woke bull blank. This is what you get with a council, an entirely left-wing, radical, woke council, hiring and and choosing radical, left-wing, wild, racist, woke citizen review boards or civilian review boards. This is what you get. And you wonder why Cleveland is an absolute hellscape of violent crime now. Homicide numbers are through the freaking roof. And they've been trending that way in the last several years. And as the, as the crime gets worse, the police force gets smaller and smaller and smaller. The attrition rate from retirements, lateral transfers and officers leaving the profession altogether is extraordinary. They can't come close to replacing them with new rookies. And when they do get a good-sized applicant class, 295 potential potential cadets, they graduate 11 of them. 11. And they find excuses to get rid of others. I wouldn't go downtown Cleveland if I didn't have to work down there. Uh, when I do, and it's not every day, but when I do, if I didn't have to work down there by Playoff Square, I wouldn't go near it. Not a same. Entertainment? Forget about it. Ball games? Nope. Clubs? Restaurants? Not a chance. I'm staying outside of that downtown hellscape because I don't know what's coming for me or my family. Neither do you. And the rise in violent crime in Cleveland and other cities just like it because of these exact same scenarios and reasons is, is astronomical. Okay, Charlie's in Brownhill. Thanks for waiting, Charlie. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away. Hey, thanks, Bob, for taking the call. You bet. Yeah, you, you, what you were talking about with the, with the 
police in Cleveland, and I think that's happening all over the country. And it made me, it reminded me of a, a movie when I, I saw when I was younger, uh, Clockwork Orange. And in that movie, the, the Stanley Kubrick movie, I think, was that uh, the criminals start becoming the cops. And, you know, because they didn't have anybody to hire. So they would hire the criminals. And I'm thinking, what are the standards? If you can't, if you can't get any police officers, the standards are going to just go down and down and down. Right now, you can see the standards of tattoos. They have tattoos all over the place. And, and 20 years ago, you weren't allowed to have a tattoo yeah. if you were a police officer. Now they're and, everywhere. And, you know, and, and those things, and the beards, those things. hair, you know, just all the standards are lowered. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a – but it, you can see the standards are lowering. And I look, I watch these videos of Seattle and stuff. Cops won't arrest anybody. They're, they're they're neutered, and that's what oh, they happening. totally are. People don't they want. Totally are. Yeah, they don't want. Know, they don't want to be cops anymore because they don't no, let them be cops. No, but yeah, I got a twenty year old son who used to express an interest in law enforcement. He's in college, and uh, and I've told him no, not a chance. I don't want you doing anything like that. Find something else. You want us to be a first responder? Go be a firefighter or something. But I don't want you put into a position where you've got to answer in a city like Cleveland to a civilian review board under the direction and guidance of people like Kerry Howard and other racists like this. I don't want me to do anything have anything to do with it as to your point charlie about um standards being lowered uh i i don't want the standards to be lowered either but i'm i'm looking less and less at things like appearance you know in terms of tattoos i mean this is this is just an ink generation it's been this way the millennial generation and now the gen zers behind them it's just their body art is their thing and uh, and my son that I just told you about has tattoos up and down his left arm and uh you know it it, it bears not at all on his competency or his um uh, you know, his character and so on and so forth. So the appearance thing is not what I would be worried about, but I am worried about lowering the standards in terms of qualifications to do the job effectively and safely. Um, and I don't want them to lower the qualifications, but I don't think social media posts from when somebody was 12 should be considered when you're evaluating the standards and the ca- capabilities of the, uh, of the uh, applicant. And that's what they're doing in Cleveland. At least that's what the reports are. They're looking at social media and saying, well, this person is an ist, a racist, or, or an obe, or, or phobe. It's a racist, or a sexist, or a homophobe, or a transphobe, or whatever, so therefore they cannot serve. That's the kind of crap that they have to stop looking at. They need to start looking at the reality of what people are, not based on what their social media posts look like, and also inferring intent. And, and, and Charlie, thanks for the call. Inferring what somebody meant by a post being supportive of the police in that Cleveland Brown situation. Supportive of, you know, or opposed, uh, an opponent of, 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 you know, the Black Lives Matter movement. That doesn't make you a racist. It means you don't believe that specifically and particularly a group that identified itself as being a Marxist organization hell bent on dividing the country. Expressing a, a lack of support for that doesn't make you a racist. It makes you somebody who is reasonable and wants to say, let's be together. Let's preach unity, not separatism. Let's preach unity, not segregation. That doesn't mean you're racist if you oppose the Black Lives Matter movement. And if you say all lives matter on a tweet when you're 12 or 13 or 14 or 15 or 16, and that makes you disqualified from a police test when you're 24 and 25 because you said all lives matter during the height of all of this. And that's the kind of crap we're talking about. TJ in Cleveland. Hi, TJ. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. You know, Bob, I live in a near west side uh, neighborhood of Cleveland, and I've been seeing this 
you know, for a few years now, you know, the difference in, in what's happening around us here. And I don't think people realize this is not just Cleveland that's going to be affected. The suburbs also. These criminals know one thing. Commit your crime in the suburbs and then head for the sanctuary of Cleveland. Because once they cross that line, they can't be chased by the Cleveland police. And they know this. So they'll be committing a lot of their crimes in the burbs and then, like I said, come back to sanctuary Cleveland, you know, for safety. And it's not just Cleveland. The Metro Parks, and one of the biggest secrets there, and I know this for a fact, they are spread so thin with rangers now, uh, you know, picking up Gordon Park and all these other things. Mm -hmm. And they have a lot of money, but they don't spend it on security. And I think a lot of them rangers are getting sick of it, too. Uh, so this is just going to continue. And, and, and not just the violent crime, Bob, but you should see our neighborhood streets. It's like the Indianapolis 500. They have no respect. They have no fear of police or anything because you don't see any police. No, why would they? Why would they? That's exactly right. TJ and you know they don't they don't fear being pulled over and getting a ticket so they speed like crazy and guess what else they don't fear getting caught when they jack somebody's car they don't fear getting caught when they break into somebody's house they don't fear getting caught when they vandalize because they know there's no cops around and the reality is if there are cops around all they've got to do is offer a little bit of passive resistance by way of chase or active resistance when they get caught and guess what cops are afraid to do they're afraid to use force against them to bring them under control as they resist, because then they can scream uh, uh, excessive force, excessive force. Bring that cop before the cop-hating civilian review board and get that cop suspended or fired or prosecuted, for that matter. That's what they've done. And what's going to happen, Bob? Anybody that can afford it is going to bail out of this city. And then that's just going to erode they the already are. even more. Uh, exactly. I mean, it, what, it's what was the population of this city 20 years ago? Well, way more than it is now. I want to say it was around 500,000 people, wasn't it? Yeah. I could be a little bit off on that. Now there's less than 300,000 people in Cleveland, and there's a reason why. Hell, people are smart. They're not going to sit here and, uh, you know, in the deterioration, again, of the uh, services provided to the people, particularly as it pertains to safety services, is going to drive more and more people, and guess what else? More and more businesses out. As people leave and businesses leave, tax revenues decline, and then the situation builds upon itself. And not only that, but... You know, talking about issue one, I remember when our illustrious young mayor come out and said, well, if we defeat this issue one, then we can get some real gun control. So basically what he's saying <laughs> is let the criminals have what they want, and we will take away the rights of the honest citizens to defend, to themselves. defend themselves. This is their answer to everything. Great But points, it's just going to continue to get worse. Yeah. And, Bob, I remember calling almost a year and a half ago about this. You know, people were talking about the killing grounds in Chicago. And I said, if you look at our population compared to Chicago and the, and, the, and the murders, we beat Chicago two years ago even, and we're ahead of them today. You know, like I said, if based on population. We are the top three most dangerous cities in America now. Per capita, and, and, yeah. And, yeah, and the people are just with their head and their behinds, you know. Yep. No, you're right. And thank you, my friend. I appreciate the call. And here's something else, too. Um, this is why Cleveland earns this type of reputation nationwide the stuff we're talking about right now and maybe you saw this maybe you didn't about a month and a half ago this study came out from uh, wallet hub uh, which is a very thorough ranking in a ton of different categories of 182 cities um, that were ranked uh, as the best cities to raise a family in the united states 182 cities 
The 182 were comprised of the 150 most populated, which Cleveland is one of, as well as uh, two of the most populated cities in each state. And it only applies to the city proper. It excludes the suburbs and surrounding metro areas, right? The top five U.S. cities to raise a family in order are, number one, Fremont, California. Number two, Overland Park, Kansas. Number three, Irvine, California. Number four, Plano, Texas. Number five, South Burlington, Vermont. The bottom five in the rankings of best places to raise a family in the United States, number 178, Newark, New Jersey. Number 179, Birmingham, Alabama. Number 180, Detroit, Michigan. Number 181, Memphis, Tennessee. And coming in dead freaking last. Not in the bottom ten, nor the bottom five. Dead ass last. At number 182, Cleveland, Ohio. You can share that. We're number one at something, and that's being the worst freaking city in the country. I'll be right back. Nine fifty six. Councilman Mike Palencic going to join us after the top of the hour news to talk about what's going on in Cleveland with the police classes. Uh, Navy man Norm is in Strongsville, not Cleveland, but Strongsville is close enough to matter. Uh, hey, Norm, go right ahead, sir. Um, I think you know from my previous calls that my father, uh, Norm Senior, was a Cleveland police officer for thirty six years. He was injured during the Huff riots back in the late sixties and went back on the force. But he went back out on the streets. Uh, he refused to work in that office. When I used to ask my dad, you know, when he'd come home, how did it go? He'd look at me and he'd smile and he goes, every day is like Halloween. Think about it. This is in the 1960s and 70s when he said this. Every day is like Halloween. And he retired uh, at that time. He was relatively young. Uh, uh, even with 36 years service, um, because he said things are getting bad out here. And that was in 1977 that he retired. Things are getting bad out here. Now, fast forward to uh, 46 years later, we have an administration with Mayor Bimbo and uh, his uh, city council uh, who are nothing but anti-police uh, hating people. They wanted to fund the police. Well, they're getting their wishes. Nobody with their right mind wants to go into that city, as you said before, to shop, to go to a play, uh, even to uh, vote early uh, <laughs> for, for, for fear of having harm inflicted upon them and their families. Sure. As far as Citizens Review Committee goes, it's a joke. Because, you know what, you have to have mutual respect, mutual understanding of each other's problems. And that committee doesn't. They're, they were, they are a creation of Mayor uh, Bibb. They are a creation of his. So who do you think that they're going to support? They're going to support the police in any uh, incident, any shootings? Hell no. They're not going to do that. 
And it's a shame because there's decent, law-abiding citizens living in the black community, and they're being held hostage by all these thugs. And Bib could give a could give a damn less, Bob. He could give a damn less. And you know, and you know the you know the 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 frustrating part about it, and the confusing part about it is, is Justin Bibb is always proud of saying that he's the son of a cop. His dad was a cop. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, he's 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 always bragging about that. You know, he supports police because uh, his dad was a cop, and yet he sells them out. And the creation of this board, over which he has uh, great and thanks for the call, Norm, over which he has great control of selecting the members of. Um, you know, what, it just flies in the face of his uh, statement that he supports cops because he's the son of one. So uh, that's the reality of it. It's a very dangerous place to be right now, and there are there are more cops fleeing the city of Cleveland. They're either retiring. They're making lateral transfers or they're getting out of policing altogether because they know it is such a dangerous thing to do now, and the city of Cleveland is suffering for it. Councilman Polensic will join us next on Always Right Radio. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. Nine minutes after 10 o'clock and hour number two is underway on this Monday, the 14th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Fifty-two. Yeah, we missed the beginning of that. Let's do this again. We're down 44 officers in the 1st District, 52 in the 2nd District, 52. This is in basic patrol. Your mounted unit has been decimated. The police mounted unit has been decimated. I'm told you have nobody working auto theft now. Ward 8 Councilman Michael Polensic tells 19 News there are no officers working the auto theft unit on Cleveland's police department at a time when car thefts are up 116%. We're averaging 23 cars a day being stolen in the city. We have not seen figures like this in God knows how long. That was Councilman Mike Polensic talking with uh, Channel 19, as you just heard, back in March. That was March. You heard the numbers. 1,283 police officers then. Losing another 18 would put them at the same level as uh, they were in 1923, despite the population and because of the declining number of cops and the increasing number of crimes, we are literally looking at the city of Cleveland being the fourth most violent city in the country. This according to FBI statistics. So what do we do? We need more cops. We need more bigger classes of cops getting into the academy and coming out and ready to ride to the rescue. And instead, what is the city of Cleveland doing? They're taking 295 applicants, chopping them down little by little to the point where 11 graduate the academy. In the time that it took for the current class of 11 to get through the academy and be sworn in, they lost another 92 officers. 
So what in the living hell is going on? Why can't they recruit talent to the police department? And why are they intentionally slicing and dicing the list to the point where um, essentially there's no relief whatsoever in sight? Joining me now is Mike Polensic, Cleveland City Councilman. Uh, Councilman, I know you don't like talking about this stuff, but it's here, and uh, we need answers, so I appreciate you stepping up. How are you? I'm fine. You know, Bob, it is all about transparency. And, you know, the, the citizens, the city council, we have a right to know what's happening within the division of police. And, again, you you just outlined it. I mean, we're dealing with a situation and, and a time that none of us have ever experienced. No one alive today has ever seen this um, this level within the Cleveland Police Department. In fact, now we are at 1920 levels within the division of police. So there, is, uh, there's the challenge. Yeah, and, and you know, we're not just talking about... <clears throat> When we talk about the rising crime, we're not just talking about, uh, you know, petty theft and vandalism and things of that nature. We're talking the city of Cleveland has become become just a death zone. There have been, in 2023, thus far, 115 homicides. Last year, for the sake of comparison, at the same date, we had 101. This pace, Councilman Polenzik, puts us on pace for 193 homicides, which would be 20 over the previous record of 173 just two years ago in 2021. This is becoming a more violent city every single day, and citizens and, and, and visitors to the city are rightly looking at the city council, looking at the mayor's office, looking at the police uh, the division of police, and saying, what are you doing about it? And and, well, and and right now, I don't think there's an answer to that, is there? Well, the, the challenge is this, and I think part of our part of our problem is many people forget their government classes or haven't taken government or civic classes. City council cannot hire, we cannot fire, we cannot deploy, we cannot administer. We're prohibited by law, the charter. So we are legislators, just like the United, just like the Congress or the Ohio House or the Senate. I mean, so we pass legislation, we authorize funds. We gave the administration everything they asked for and then some. Since January of last year, of 2022, to today, we passed $145 million worth of initiative, purchasing equipment, new police headquarters, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. I could go down the, the pike. We gave them everything they wanted. In fact, within the budget, we authorized the hiring of 180 police officers. Mm-hmm. That's a fact. It's there. If we hire four, if they hire forty this year, we'll be lucky. We'll be lucky. So there's the challenge. And so what we've been told is that people aren't applying to be police department police officers. Well, we know that's not correct. Now we know two hundred and ninety five did apply, mm-hmm. and for some reason, a hundred and ten at the eleventh hour decided they removed themselves. From the list, why? I, I, we want to know why. 110 said no. We don't want to go forward. And then 98 were washed out by the safety director. So again, you outlined it. 295 applied. We wind up with 11. I don't care what business, what factory, what corporation. You've got to. You you have to know how many people you have. You need to have working. I don't care if it's a Ford Motor Company on the assembly line. You know you have. You need X a number of people. I don't care if it's a McDonald's restaurant. Sure. So what you've seen here is years of bad management, bad planning, and here we are today. So so let's are, let's let's dive into this uh, this yeah. part of the story, which is why yeah. I invited you on today, and I really appreciate your time. 
let's talk about those 98. <clears throat> According to uh, Councilman um, uh, Chris Harsh, Ward 13, uh, as far as that 98, council has only received, quote, vague information <clears throat> as to why those 98 uh, who did not uh, wash themselves out, uh, who did not, you know, uh, disqualify themselves, who passed the psychological, passed the physical, passed the, uh, the, the test, and then were washed out, as you say, by the safety director. And according to Councilman Harsh, uh, quote, some is racism, some is sexism, some is homophobia, things like that. And that would clearly be a disqualifying trait. But I want to see the actual information for those 98 people. They have not provided explicit detail as to why they were qualified, disqualified. Um, do you have anything to add to what the, the councilman said there? No. I mean, Chris was, you know, he looked at the information that I had requested. And he raised the questions that the majority members are raising. Tell us why the 98 were washed. We were told it was things on their social media, maybe something on Facebook, da-da-da-da. Well, again, tell us what was on there that was so offensive or jumped out that these people were disqualified. That's that's a legitimate question. Is the safety director required to answer that question? He should be, but is he? Well, that's... I've asked him. Now, I'll see. I'm waiting for his response. We'll see if he's going to respond. But the citizens have a right to know why 98 people were washed out, were let's disqualified. Talk about, let's talk about this safety director, because Kerry Howard, of course, made news in February with his uh, comments that were deeply offensive to white Irish people, uh, suggesting that this is, you know, some sort of a... I, I don't know. They they feel like they own the force because they started doing this uh, back in the you know in the 1920s. You know, with uh, with Irish police officers, it was so bad. There was a vote of the CPPA, a vote of no confidence for Kerry Howard. Ninety five point six percent of the respondents uh, in that uh, survey said, "Yeah, we do not have confidence in him. We want him gone." The mayor responded saying, "Tough crap. I have full count confidence in Kerry Howard." Given the racial overtones or undertones of Kerry Howard's comments at that time and the no uh, uh, no no confidence vote, um, he doesn't he absolutely owe it to the membership of the existing police division of police to say why he won't strengthen their numbers and whether or not race had anything to do with the washout of those ninety eight. Well, I would hope that he would come forward and provide us as much information as possible. At the end of the day, the safety director works for the mayor of the city of Cleveland. That's who hires him, the mayor. So at the end of the day, we all know where the buck stops. It stops on the desk of Justin Bibb. And therefore, um, if, if it's not Kerry Howard, then the mayor has got to be able to provide as much information as possible. We've got to get to the bottom of what's happening here. You know, I'm the senior member. No one has done this longer than I in the city of Cleveland. I've never witnessed the level of crime, the level of violence, the insanity that I've seen. Uh, rolling gun battles. The the one that I experienced in my own ward on the 9th of July, 93 shell casings have been recovered so far. So far. And they've and through uh, the ballistic uh, tests and everything else that they do, um, they, they determined that came from 10 different guns. That was a war. That was a war that took place. And as a result, a 17-year-old young man was killed. But I'm lucky that there were a whole bunch of other kids and, and innocent people killed as a result of this rolling gun battle that affected five streets in my community among the Kia boys. 
okay? So I've never witnessed things like that. And I grew up in, in the northeast side. I grew up in a colony with me, the roughest, toughest neighbor in the city of Cleveland. It was one time the United Nations, the gangsters, I never had to worry about walking the street. I never had to worry about my mother getting on a bus or my sisters go, going to a local playground or, or a business. We, I never entered my wavelength, never entered my radar screen. I, I never, you know, when, when the bad guys went, went at it, they went among, it, among themselves and very seldom, thank goodness. But yeah. what, what we're seeing is just, you know, violent individuals on the street who will just stand out there and shoot and beat up people and rob people. And when you hear these stories from elderly folks, you know, elderly black folks who are afraid to go to church on Sunday in the Glenville neighborhood or yeah, afraid to go to it's Bible. And it's not even just Cleveland residents, Councilman Polensic. We're talking to Mike Polensic. My yes. daughter, my daughter's 21 years old. She was home this summer after she graduated college and before she went off to law school. She was home for about two months. And she and her friends were looking for things to do and places to go. And, and she said, Dad, we were thinking about going down to the flats. And I said, the hell you are. Yeah. I, no, you're not. I, I, I don't, you're not going anywhere near the city of Cleveland because yeah. of exactly what you just said. And and I know I'm not the only dad or the only person who's concerned about their loved ones even going downtown. I wouldn't go to a ball game. I wouldn't go down there for for a meal. I mean, the city of Cleveland is exactly what you just said. It's a war zone, depending on the given night. And, yeah. and all of the things that we see, the violent crimes that we see, because uh, criminals fear no arrest. They know the numbers. They know that there are no patrol cars on the horizon. They know that nobody's coming. Even if they do, all they're going to do is run because they're not allowed to chase them. There is no fear of accountability for criminals in the city of Cleveland today. Well, and you have to instill fear. You have to have the quorum. Because, again, as you just alluded, it's just not about crime and public safety. It's about economic development. If you can't sure. get people to move in the city or stay in the city or businesses to invest. Or visit or the city. That's exactly then, then you have, then you have, uh, then you have an exodus, and people talk with their feet, and then everybody is affected. I don't care what neighborhood you live in. And you look at that young, that that very attractive young lady who was killed, ca- came home to visit her family for the Puerto Rican Day event mm-hmm. on the West Side a week ago, and j- just brutally killed. I mean, by the Kia boys, they hit her. I mean, that's what we're experiencing from one neighborhood to another. So again, you've got to lay the law down. You know, I've asked repeatedly that for the Ohio Highway Patrol, I've asked the administration and the Ohio Highway Patrol and Pete Elliott. Now we've Pete Elliott and the U.S. Marshals have announced they're coming in along with the Ohio Highway Patrol. But that in itself right there is an acknowledgement that CPD cannot control the streets. They cannot control the streets. And we've got to figure out collectively the outside agencies, CPD, the Cuyahoga County Sheriff's Department, whoever, what are we going to do to set the tone back in these neighbors? Because they've let the genie out of the bottle. Now the question is, how do you put the genie back in the bottle? Because well, if not, you're going to continue to have chaos throughout the remainder of the summer and going into fall. And at the pace you've outlined a moment ago, at the pace that we are on right now for homicides, we'll hit a 30-year high in homicides. And yet, 30 years ago, we had 200,000 more people in the city of Cleveland. Exactly. Think about that. Well, I mean, you know, here's 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 all you need to know. I mean, not that this is the be all end all this one study, but but a, but a very comprehensive study about quality of life was done, a survey of the 186 most populated cities in the country. Uh and and the I'm sorry, 182. And the city of Cleveland for quality of family life, or I think the actual metric was um uh the best cities in America to raise a family. 
the city of Cleveland was number 182 out of 182. And a huge part of that was safety. I mean, I, what, what more do you need to say? What more does city council need to see? What more does Justin Bibb need to see? What more, what more does this, the, 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 the civilian review board, the anti-police, anti-law enforcement civilian review board, think about the fact that more citizens and visitors to the city of Cleveland are being harmed by violent crime than ever before under their watch while they look to try to question every move a cop makes? Cops are fleeing. They're going to suburbs. They're going to other big cities. They're going anywhere they can where they don't have to answer to consent decrees and civilian review boards whose whose aim, because of the membership of those boards, whose aim is clearly to take down as many of them as possible. Well, issue 24 was a mistake. I didn't vote for it. You know, what's been going on in that commission speaks for itself, the battles, the internal battles, etc. But unfortunately, it passed. So it's law. It's Section 115 of the city charter. So whether we like it or not, we've got to figure out how to make it work. But at the end of the day, I want to just touch on this. It's, it, city council cannot deploy. We cannot hire. We cannot fire. We cannot administer. So we're looking to the administration. We've given them everything, all the financial resources available. They asked for it. We gave it to them. We passed the helicopter legislation in, in March of last year, 2022. Then, then they awarded a contract to a company that went out of business. So the helicopters weren't flying. I mean, so at the end of the day, we have done everything. The council president, I can tell you, has done everything he can, along with the members of that body. And I'm not going to let the members of the body get tagged because they did what they needed to do. They did so the right thing. what will thing. you do, though? What will you and other council members do if we well, find out? Well, we're going to continue. Oh, hold on. Let me, let me, let me finish that question. If we find out that the majority, uh, particularly if it's, a, if it's a significant majority of the 98 that Kerry Howard just washed out are white? Well, there, there's going to be the problem. Because at that point, it's not what we're going to do. You're going to have somebody's going to launch or a group is going to launch a civil rights suit. That's what's going to happen for discrimination. Now, that's why it's so critical, that information. Because I don't want to see anyone that's washed out because of the color of their skin, their ethnic origin, or their political party, or who they voted for, or what they might have said about a, a mayor or a member of city council. I mean, that has no bearing upon their competency to serve as a member of the Cleveland Police Department. So that's why it's important that we get the information. Now we've asked it's for crucial. it. crucial. I mean, given this man's blatant racial bias that he has expressed that led to that no-confidence vote, we need to find out if 98 potential cavalry riders coming to the rescue to strengthen yeah. and support the uh, Cleveland Police Force were washed out because they were the wrong color for Kerry Howard, and if they used bogus social media account reasons you know what's the average age of a of a cadet 23 22 23 maybe yeah they're about that range so you go back 10 years of social media posts you find out what somebody wrote at 12 or 13 or 14 or 15 maybe they maybe they said all lives matter or something and that makes them a racist and therefore unfit to serve in the cleveland police department we need to find out specifically what was disqualifying in order to know whether or not carrie howard should remain a safety service director or safety director and whether whether or not uh, Justin Bibb is running a city that actually cares about its citizens. Well, again, we'll, we'll, we asked for that last week, the information. Today is Monday. We'll wait to see if we get it. If not, if we don't receive it, then at that point we'll be talking to the council attorneys as it pertains to what additional action we should be taking. But so we've done, our, we've done what we needed to do.
we've been doing our due diligence. We've been drilling down. And again, the numbers that we're using didn't come from city council. These are numbers that we requested because of public uh, public information. Everything, we, all the numbers that we're working off of have come from the administration, whether it be the number of police officers in the department, the number of people in the various ranks and divisions that's been indicated. We have we have the biggest auto theft problem we've ever had. We have nobody working auto theft. So those are the challenges that we're confronted with, and we're going to continue to do our part. We're going to continue to drill down and and ask the questions, the pertinent questions that we need to do, and then where we can take action, where we can take legal action, we will do that. Well, we're going to watch it closely, and we'll stay in contact with you and other members of council who are willing to step up and address this, because the city of Cleveland, the people of Cleveland, and as I said, the businesses, the visitors, uh, people in the outside looking to come to town, they, they deserve to know that they can come downtown without Bob, uh, without, without Bob, being violently accosted. Yes, sir. Bob, let me just say this. Cleveland, Cleveland we're under 400,000. We should be a manageable city, okay? We're on the lake. We've got tremendous assets, great people in our town, cultural institutions second to none. We should be manageable. And the question is, why aren't we manageable? Why can't we get a handle on these things that are so critical? Those are the questions being asked by more and more citizens in our city and business people alike. So, again, that's where the focus has to be. Quality of life, making things better for all of us. That's all I can tell you. If I can be forgiven for being flippant in my response, my answer to that question is choice. It's by choice. It is manageable if they chose to do so. They choose not to. They chose this chaos because of their own personal, political, and perhaps uh, 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 racial biases. That's something okay. that we are seeing. Mike Polensic, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, we'll You're welcome. In touch. Bye-bye. That's Councilman Mike Polensic. It's 1028. It's by choice. It is absolutely manageable. He's right. They don't have to be down 300 officers. They are choosing this course. And it's affecting everybody in Northeast Ohio. We'll be back. Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Okay, 1036 now. Appreciate you being with us on Always Wait Ray Radio. Uh, we're going to open the phones back up. We had a bunch of people on hold before we talked to Mike Polenzik. You can go ahead and dial back now, 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. We've talked almost exclusively this morning about the report uh, from... Uh, from the city of Cleveland. It was covered by Fox 8 News. They did a really, really good uh, thorough report here. We were quoting some of the comments from Chris Harsh that were made to, that's Councilman from Ward 13, that was they were made to Fox 8. So thanks to uh, Fox 8 for that info. Um, we've been talking about this report that uh, of 295 applicants for the police class, 110 washed themselves out on their own. The city, though, washed out 98 more, graduating only 11 in the last class. In that period of time in which 11 new police officers were added, the city lost 92. That's obviously not an acceptable ratio. Being negative 82 after the class is uh, is sworn in is not acceptable. It's not survivable, quite frankly. And so the question uh, became, and it's a, it's a very important one, why did they wash out 98 other individuals who passed the psychological, who passed the civil uh, test, who passed the physical requirements? Why did they reject them? And according to what city council has been told, the answer has been largely due to social media posts and the perception 
by the safety director who got to make this call, Carrie Howard, a man whose racial biases against white Irish people is now well known. He's the one who decided that social media posts determined the quality of a candidate, including social media posts from as far back as 10 years ago. When an average 22 or 23 year old cadet was 12 or, or 13. The city, it is uh, reported, is down some 300 officers from the budgeted staffing level that they were supposed to be at. The budgeted staffing level means there is a budget for them. This is not something that would require an increase in city taxes or some sort of special grant. It's budgeted for this many officers. Down 300 means that the city obviously cannot patrol and and protect and serve at the level that they need to. But guess what? That number of 300 is completely outdated. The city, according to what I've learned, changed the budgeted staffing level from 1,642 to 1,450 just three months ago, which means they're actually now down 500 cops from the 1,642 that they had budgeted for three months ago. They're 500 less. So in order to make that look not quite as bad, they changed the staffing level, the budgeted staffing level from 1642 to 1450. Now it's like, well, we're only down 300. No, you're down 500. You just fudged the numbers because you're liars and because you have no excuse. It's an anti-cop city. It's an anti-law enforcement city. It's an anti-law city, and it's why the numbers that I gave you before are what they are. Cleveland is the worst city in America to raise a family, according to one widely spread, or uh, excuse me, widely uh, uh, surveyed um, uh, study. 182 cities were surveyed for the in a number of uh, a number of categories: family fun, health and safety, education, child care, affordability, socioeconomics. So, in other words, the business climate, the schools, the, the, the law enforcement, health and safety, all of these things were factored in. And Cleveland finished, if you missed the, uh, the headline earlier, Cleveland finished out of 182 U.S. cities, 182nd. These were the biggest cities in America by population. 182nd out of 182 the worst big city to live in in America for a family. So I welcome your thoughts. Do you go downtown anymore? Do you go downtown for for meals, for entertainment, for games, and so forth? I know there's still going to be tens of thousands that go down every Sunday to watch the Browns, and a few people go down to watch the Indians, and a few people go down to watch the Cavaliers. I don't go to any of them anymore. I used to live at those parks and, and, and arenas and stadiums. I used to do sports radio in this town, and I spent so much time in downtown Cleveland at Progressive Field or at uh, then the Q and now uh, the, the Fieldhouse and, and the Brown Stadium. I won't go down. I won't go down there for a meal. I'll go down there if I have to to collect a paycheck because i got to work for a living. I'll go down to Cleveland for that, and that's it. 
And as soon as the, the work is done, it's screeching out of that city and getting the hell out. Because I don't know what's going to happen next. Did you catch the numbers I gave when I talked to Mike Polenzik? So far in the calendar year of 2023, there have been 115 uh, murders in the city of Cleveland. Just up through today, August 14th, 14th. 115. By comparison, last year there were 101 at this time. And the record was 2021, when there were 173. We're now pacing for 193. And that's just homicides. Doesn't count assaults, doesn't count uh, rapes, doesn't count carjackings, doesn't count uh, vandalism, theft, robberies, burglaries, doesn't count all the other violent crimes. That's just homicides. So if you go downtown anymore, I would love to know whether or not you feel safe when you do. I won't let my family go there. Fortunately, the kids are out of, out of the area now for college and things of that nature, but, but I wouldn't if they were home. I won't let my wife go down there. If I take her down there, it's going to be under very, very uh, certain uh, circumstances. So I welcome your thoughts. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Now, I want to also pivot to another study, another survey that I found very, very interesting because it speaks to a lot of, I think, what we found in the study that I just talked about, about America. Um, and it also speaks to the racial division in America and the radicalization of America. This is a study, survey that was done um, by a group called The Dangers to Democracy, or at least this is the uh, name of the report, Dangers to Democracy. Now, According to the results of this study, a massively growing number of Americans support the use of violence in order to achieve political ends. As we head toward the 2024 presidential election, and we're already in the campaign season, a growing number of people believe that violence is the answer to achieving our political goals. Study was done by a University of Chicago professor named Robert Pape. And he said growing anger and radicalization across the spectrum, the political spectrum, is leading more and more people to turn to violence or to at least support others turning to violence in order to achieve their political ends. All right? Now, this is a. Brief uh, report on the story from uh, CBS's Face the Nation. Uh, Face the Nation uh, spoke with uh, Robert Pape, um, who, again, is the the person who did this study. And listen to some of the raw numbers here. If I can make this thing play, I will share this with you. But I want you to hear the raw numbers of uh, individuals who say that political violence is necessary and or is acceptable uh, in order for... Uh, in order for them to to achieve their political goals. And I'm still muted. I don't know why. I apologize. I'm trying to play the clip for you. Here's what I'll do. I'm just going to read you the numbers. If I can find the clip after the next break, I'll do it. So I'll just read you the numbers. I thought it would be better presented by by Face the Nation. So let me just give you some of the numbers particularly. According to the report and the study, 30 million Americans, 30 million Americans, say that it would be acceptable for violence to be used to stop Donald Trump from becoming president again. 
30 million say this. You talk about radicalization, this is radicalization. All right? 18 million say that it would be okay to use violence and, and force to make Donald Trump president again. Now, this isn't all just about Trump. Don't, don't get me wrong. This isn't all about just Trump. But that is one of the, the, the most striking examples. 18 million people, according to the survey conducted by the University of Chicago, said that violence would be acceptable to restore Donald Trump to the White House. I find that just staggering, troubling, disturbing, but completely acceptable considered the other side. 30 million say use of force is justified to keep him out. Now, to hear the mainstream media tell the story, what do they say? Where does violent political, um, where do violence, where does violence on the political spectrum usually fall? They blame the radical right. They say that the radical right, right wing extremists, domestic terrorists, look at what happened on January 6th when they sieged the Capitol in order to stop the transfer of power, in order to, to stop democracy, they said. It's the radical right. That's who the FBI has determined is the biggest threat in this country when it comes to domestic violence. The radical right, the alt-right, the neo-Nazis, the fascists. Well, first of all, if there are neo-Nazis, fascists, and alt-righters who want to do violence in order to achieve political ends, then I completely, as Donald Trump has done on numerous occasions, I condemn them and I disavow them. But what this survey found is that that's not where the bulk, the majority of those radicals who seek uh, violence to achieve political ends live. They live on the left side of the spectrum. Over 30 million. According to the survey, 68% believe that the 2020 election was stolen from Donald Trump. 62% believe the prosecutions of Trump are intended to hurt his chances in 2024. And those individuals are among the 18 million who believe that it should be it would be acceptable to use force to restore him to the presidency around 7% of them up from 4.5% or 12 million who said yeah it's okay to use violence to get Trump back in office back in April so in the last what is it April to now 4 months in the last 4 months that number has risen dramatically as has Trump's general favorability um among his supporters But on the other side, the 30 million who would say we don't want Donald Trump to be in office and we will use force if that's what it takes to keep him out, 30 million, that's a a dramatic increase as well, from 9% up to 17%. So when you think about what this says about us, we're kind of of no longer interested in political, um, you know, the Democratic process you got to be very very careful how you word that a lot of leftists believe we're a democracy that's why i don't want to say our democracy they like to use the word democracy but there is the democratic process that is used to decide our elections but the democratic the peaceful democratic process is no longer viable is what this says the peaceful process of electing people, I disagree with you, you disagree with me, let's go vote and see how it turns out is how it turns out. Then we work during that period of time. Those who didn't get their way want to minimize the damage that can be done to the country as they see it or the state or the community or whatever the case might be. 
Uh, and then you just fight to win the next election. It's just the process. It's the way that it's supposed to be done. That is no longer acceptable to this very, very large number of Americans. We're a nation of 330 million people. But 48 million people collectively, 30 million on one side, 18 million on the other, wishing to use force is not a number to sneeze at. 48 million Americans saying, let's, let's, let's do it. Let's battle. Let's fight in the streets. That's a pretty astounding number of people. The survey found that 90% of Trump's most radical supporters believe the federal government is run by a deep state of immoral people. I would count myself among among those 90%, although I don't consider myself radical in any way, but I believe in the deep state because I have eyes and I have ears, and they don't lie to me. Um, as Trump faces more complicated legal trouble and the 2024 election season gets underway with the first GOP debate in, uh, what, about uh, nine days, right? It's the 13, uh, 23rd, I should say. The number of Americans who believe that the election was stolen, um, again, remains roughly unchanged at some 20%. Things are going in the wrong direction of radicalization, said Pape, who did the study at the University of Chicago. And we haven't even really gotten into the heated part of the 2024 election season yet, and that's true. But what I would like to know is, is what can be done to turn the temperature down? And I don't want to be cynical, but I don't know the answer. Or better said, I don't know if the answer exists. How do you turn the temperature down from 48 million people between the two sides thinking that going to battle and using force to get the result that we want is acceptable. When 48 million people think think that, I don't know if there's enough to turn the temperature down. What would it take? Donald Trump and Joe Biden appearing together on a campaign commercial saying, we disagree on just about everything, but we agree on democracy, meaning the democratic process of voting, in our representative republic. We agree doing this peace on pe- doing this peacefully without any types of of violence being committed in the name of either one of us or our parties or our movements or our ideologies, because that's never going to happen. Short of of that, and I don't even know if that would change anything. I don't think there is anything to turn the temperature down. So I welcome your thoughts. How do you feel about the fact that 30 million Americans, according to the survey, 30 million believe that force is okay to keep Trump out of office? And 18 million believe force is okay to get Trump back into office. I would love your thoughts on it. 216-901-0945, Stay here on Always Right Radio. We'll be back. So I think the... Um Audio is actually working now. Let's see if you can hear this. In looking at some of the research you shared with us, one of the things that stood out, you are seeing this radicalization on both sides of the political spectrum. 30 million people, according to your numbers, think the use of force is justified to prevent Donald Trump from being president. 18 million think it's justified to restore Trump to the presidency. Exactly. What we're seeing is not simply um, a manifestation on the right. That is absolutely important. And there's no doubt that January 6th, the crowd that sieged the Capitol is something that has not happened on the left. Mm -hmm. So I'm not trying to draw that equivalence. 
But nonetheless, what we need to look at are the sentiments on both the right and the left that are being radicalized to millions and millions of uh, Americans. And this is important because political, uh, these sentiments are a bit like uh, understanding wildfires, the first part of your show. It's the dry kindling that is so important that we can measure in advance. We can't measure political, uh, political uh, scientists like myself or meteorologists a campfire that could set off that kindling or power lines that could set off that kindling. It's a fair point. What will it take? What would it take for something to touch off a, a wildfire, to use his metaphor? A political wildfire that would result in physical force in battle in the streets. And how could it be stopped? I don't know. I don't know if there's any way to turn that temperature down anymore. Uh, Don is calling from Lakewood. Hi, Don. You're on the air. Fire away. Hey, Bob. How you doing? Um, I recently had the occasion to travel downtown, and I don't get downtown much anymore. I was an employee of the city of Cleveland for 30 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I do get downtown, I notice the changes. One of the changes I noticed recently was the influx of homeless tents all over downtown. So welcome to, now we're in the ranks of San Francisco and New York all of a sudden. This mayoral administration is going to do nothing about any of this. Because in the years I was at the city, ever since Democrat rule became the order of the day, I've watched the city decline rapidly, and I think we all have. And uh, during the uh, George Floyd... ah, was it the George Floyd riots? Uh, there was traffic being blocked on the shoreway. Frank Jackson restrained the cops and did not allow them to do anything about that. And then the riots hit, and the destruction downtown was the tip of the iceberg. What was shown was was nothing compared to what I viewed when I went downtown to photograph it and actually survey it myself. So we are in dire straits in the city of Cleveland. Is there anywhere, hey Don, hey Don, is there anywhere to view your photographs from that time? Oh yes, uh, I can make a link available. Let me put and you on hold. A, I'm, I'm going to put you on okay. hold. I got to get to our break here anyway, but please talk to Marianne and let her know uh, a link so I can find those. I would love to share those as well. And your point, by the way, is spot on. You're exactly right. It has only declined from that point on, uh, and I don't see any reversing of that. We'll be back. You deserve a fair price. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. 
Uh, we're number three now, underway at nine minutes past 11 o'clock. Good Monday to you. It is the 14th morning of the eighth month in the year of our Lord, 2023. Phone lines are open, guest-free this hour. Take until about 11.45, then we'll ask Bill O'Reilly to, carry to, O'Reilly to carry you to the top of the hour. Some Charlie Kirk, some Prager. Get yourself some Dr. G. Get yourself some Seculo. Get yourself some Officer Tatum. I'm going to be a little busy this afternoon. I'm going to be a guest on a podcast. I don't often do a lot of guest hits. I usually host them, whether it be my own podcasts, uh, podcasts with Citizens for Free Speech, of course, radio shows, <clears throat> local and national, but... I'm looking forward to this one. I am going to be a guest this afternoon on the Seth Williams podcast. Can you dig it? Which is just all kind of cool because Seth Williams, you may or may not know, is now working with us here on AM 1420, The Answer. In fact, he's running the very show that you're listening to right now on the other side of the big, uh, of the big glass window. Hey, Seth, um, I'm looking forward to this, man. I am too, Bob. I mean, it's been a you know a long road with this podcast, but I'm looking forward to you coming on. A lot of people are very excited about it. Well, a lot of people are excited about your podcast from the day you started it, and it's so cool that first of all that you're doing it, second of all that you've invited me, and third of all uh, that um, you know you're working with us here uh, here here at the Answer Now. Can you tell people who don't know about your podcast what what you do and uh, where they can find our little uh, our little visit today? Yeah, basically uh, the the podcast is is. Uh, Pretty much everything from like politics to band stuff to all kind of different things. So we cover the, the gamut on, on topics. But uh, Monday and Wednesday live on Facebook, YouTube, Rumble, uh, pretty much like 10 different platforms. And then uh, we put it out everywhere after that. But uh, you can watch it tonight starting at 4 o'clock live on Facebook or YouTube. Just look up The Seth Williams Show or go to thesethwilliamshow.com because you can chat there as well. You can leave your comments and you can interact with um, all of us, with you, Bob, and it'll be cool. Now, I see you on the Facebook side of things. What was the other one? Is Did you say sethwilliams.com? Thesethwilliamshow.com. Thesethwilliamshow.com. Okay, I didn't look. I never see it there. I only see it on the uh, on the social media pages, but it will be on all the social media sites as well as thesethwilliamshow.com. I'll tell you what. Um, because of censorship, Bob, you know this. Facebook, YouTube are really rough on us. I'm, yeah, I know. I can imagine. Holy crap. Oh my gosh. I just went to your page. I just went to thesouthwilliamshow.com and saw my big face in the middle of the screen. <laughs> hey, you <laughs> like that? It's, it's, no, especially. I've got, see, I use a big uh, oversized computer monitor for, for, my, uh, for my show work. And oh my, it, it's like a mirror. It's a it's it's life size mirror reflection of me, uh, and I don't like it at all. Take It'll be video and audio, so people can watch you as well tonight. <laughs> that down immediately. Holy cow! I don't I don't need to be that big on any sky. I know I do TV too, and people can see it on their big screens, but I just don't see myself that way very often. So that just shocked me when I just popped up there. Uh, but I'm looking at it. It's the SethWilliamsShow dot com. I could kill you for that, dude. Um, but uh, yeah, and, and what time today, uh, Seth? Four o'clock. Four o'clock. You'll be on. I think four ten. So yes. Seth, for those who don't know, and most people do know, because you were uh, working with one of the most popular shows in Cleveland radio for a number of years. The, na- the station shall remain nameless for for our purposes. Yeah, but, please. Uh, for those who uh, those who don't know, Seth has been in Cleveland radio for a very long time. He is now again doing his own podcast, but also now working with us here. On AM 1420, The Answer. We're very lucky to have him. So, Seth, uh, I'm looking forward to this afternoon, and uh, and thanks for the opportunity. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Everybody here has been fantastic. This is, like, the best place to work. So. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It's the happy.
happiest I've ever been in 25 years of radio. Absolutely. Is, and I'll be in this January will be my 10th year completed in uh, uh, here at Salem. And so uh, I'm. Uh, it's hard to believe. I cannot believe it's been almost a decade I've been here. But I I agree with you. It's a great place to work, and it's a great group of people. And like I said, it's the happiest I've been uh, in 25 years on the air. So, uh, And I'm sure it'll be a lot more happy tonight, or this afternoon, I should say, doing the Seth Williams podcast. It'll so be a good time. To look forward to it. Thank right, you, Max. Thanks, Seth. Let's go to Cleveland. Uh, Tom. Tom, you're at AM 1420, The Answer. Thanks for waiting. Go ahead, sir. Hey, Bob. Uh, you were talking about the ter- deterioration of Cleveland. I'm down there on routes uh, making deliveries to its job sites uh, all day, every single day. And I just wanted to tell you some of the things that I've seen down there at the moment. Let's hear it. Okay. Um, I've seen everything from um, a homeless man panhandling and a woman attractive walking up and the man standing up and her nodding and smiling, him putting his hands out like he wanted to hug and her walking past him and him chasing her up the street until she could dip into a building. I've seen... Uh, homeless people who are panhandling get shaken down for the money they're collecting. I have seen... By other homeless um, people or by by just bad people, criminals? A, 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 either a well-dressed homeless person or criminal. I, I've seen it two different times. Okay. Um, just the other day, I was down in the square. There was a man who I'm going to assume was homeless because he didn't have shoes on, but... Um, he, he was literally passing his time by sitting at the intersection as people cross a crosswalk and pretending to shoot all the white people he saw and nodding to all the black people he saw. Oh I have been down there watching people spray paint the side of buildings for rocks and windows. And it's broad daylight. I, all my shift is during the day. But the deterioration of the city, this, that's all stuff I've seen in the past six months. And, and there's gobs more, but you have a whole show to do. But the deterioration of the city is rapid. So here's the question. Um, in all of the stuff that you see, how often do you see police officers in the vicinity? Um, actually, the guy who is sitting on the corner um, pretending to shoot people for the entire duration of a light and the whole time I was making a delivery at the Taco Bell down there, uh, there were three police officers on that exact corner. Wow. Okay. So now we have another element to this altogether because I was expecting you to say no because of the dearth of police officers in Cleveland and, you know, the, the shrinking number and so forth. But what's perhaps even more disturbing is when there are officers there seeing somebody clearly disturbing the peace, but being too afraid probably to confront them. Because if they confront them and then there's any kind of resistance or any kind of pushback or whatever, they're the ones who are going to be accused of either profiling or, uh, you know, aggressiveness or, you know, abusive power or whatever it is that people do. Cops are afraid to do anything to keep the peace. And so I, I don't well, know which I, is worse. Fewer cops or cops that are, that are essentially, you know, um, uh, robbed of their authority in their, in the service of their, uh, in the, in the course of their service. I, I thoroughly believe it's that their hands are tied because the one officer was down there making sure people weren't going in and stealing stuff out of a construction project. The other two who were walking the beat were Caucasian cops and the man pretending to shoot people on the street corner was of color. So it, it, they really do have their hands tied because of this board in the city. Well, yeah, that's it's exactly right. And like I said, they, all of those things contribute to the types of things you're seeing every single day down there. Uh, John, I appreciate the uh, call. Thanks very much for, for shining a spotlight on exactly what we are talking about. All of the interviews that I've done with 
policing experts and uh, you know current cops, former cops, uh, uh, cr- uh, criminal justice professors, and so forth, on my TV show that I do, True Blue Today, on the True Blue Factual Streaming Network. And if you don't subscribe to True Blue yet, you don't know what you're missing. It's cheap. It's four ninety nine a month. It's like it's like you know a few nickels a day. But in all of the individuals that I've talked to, we have talked about the effect of what's called the Ferguson effect on policing, which is police officers not willing to engage for fear of engaging in the protection and the service of the people, because that's the job, right? Protect and serve. Refusing to engage in those services because of the fear of a confrontation. And if they do get into a confrontation, then it becomes physical. And if it becomes physical, that they are going to be hung out to dry. Because they work in a city, in most of these cities that passed, you know, consent decrees or um, voted to defund or abolish or whatever police, um, they do. They hang the officers out to dry. And so the officer's thinking, well, what's the what's the, the risk-reward here? The reward is I take somebody who may be doing something illegal, uh, harassing, intimidating uh, people as they drive by or walk by, as the, he, you know, he just described. I can go up there and, and try to, to minimize that or stop that so people don't feel unsafe or feel like they're about to be accosted. That's the reward side of things. But the risk side is I go up to them and I tell them to move along. You can't loiter here and point fake guns at people and pretend to shoot them, particularly all the people of one color while nodding to and supporting the people of another color. You can't do that here. And then the individual freaking out, requiring an arrest, and maybe the use of physical force to subdue the individual in the course of arrest. And what's my risk? I profile them. I get reported to the Civilian Review Board who determines I was harassing somebody who was breaking the laws, and and then I had to use physical force. I held them to the ground while I handcuffed them, and they they may have bumped their head on the ground, and now I've got a, uh, a lawsuit on my hands. I mean, all of these different things are possible. So there's the Ferguson effect that leads to things like what he just said, police officers standing by and not willing, not being willing to do anything, or... Uh, is it worse to have, and again, I've talked about this with a lot of experts, no cops at all. And quite frankly, the result is the same. You have a criminal element that is encouraged by the fact that they're not going to be interrupted in the course of their crimes. And the likelihood is very, very low that they'll either be A, arrested, and then if they are arrested, B, prosecuted. And if they are prosecuted, C, forced to post bail, <laughs> And then D, if they're convicted, to get any jail time. They are so emboldened by the current state of lack of law, law enforcement in the city of Cleveland and in, in a lot of other cities. Quite frankly, I'm not trying to suggest that Cleveland is the only one. It's the worst. According to the FBI statistics, it's the fourth most violent city in America per capita. <laughs> Think about that. And it's the worst place to raise a family, according to that survey I was telling you about. But it is not just Cleveland. It is in so many big cities. And, you know, let me let me marry two stories together for one second, then I'll go back to the calls. I told you last hour about the um, political violence that is being, I don't want to say threatened, but the survey that was done that was that revealed that millions and millions, tens of millions of Americans believe that physical force, a.k.a. violence, is acceptable in order to achieve um, your political goal, your political aim. 
uh, end. 30 million said they would commit force to stop Donald Trump from winning an election again and going to the, back to the White House. 18 million said they would use force to ensure Donald Trump gets back to the White House. You add the tens of millions of Americans acknowledging their willingness to use force to get a political um, agenda achieved or passed, elected, what have you. Add that story to the story about fewer and fewer cops either being in cities, existing at all, or willing to engage in certain circumstances, and what do we have? Am I, am I going too far to say we have a powder keg? I mean, there's enough street crime already for the purposes of just personal enrichment. Stealing cars, carjacking, attacks, robberies, muggings, burglaries, assaults, completely unprovoked assaults. People getting out of their car in a downtown gas station and being jumped by eight or nine people, oftentimes racially motivated. You know, I mean, all of these things going on for personal enrichment or, for quite frankly, for, for just enjoyment that a lot of people take in seeing other people suffer. Add that to the other kinds of uh, political violence that, that they're talking about. And, I mean, we're talking about a literal powder keg. B.J. is in North Olmstead. B.J., fire away. We are in a civil war currently. The only problem is we're not fighting the North and the South that are doing it. It's happening in our streets. People are arming themselves. The attack on the white people had to come sooner or later because it's been instigated by people that have been telling people of color that their enemy are white people, which is not the truth. But we are, unfortunately, and I said this way back in June, August was going to be a hot month, and it is a hot month. People are not going to take a chance going unarmed, and if people are going to be arming themselves, what is that really telling our society? is we have a lot of fear in it, and we don't trust other people. And a race war would be a disaster and a tragedy to happen. But the next war is not going to be between north and south and east and west. It's going to be in survival. And if, if, if the white race gets angry in this country, God forbid, please, creator, forbid, if it does happen, we're going to have a civil war among ourselves. And, and we have to become very aware of that. And it has to become a more of an open conversation between the races. I notice many people of color and Asian groups are moving out, at least on, near where I live, out to the west side of, of, of the cities and getting out of the cities. A lot of African-American people do not want to be in the throes of all the shooting that's going on. But it is happening. And we have to become more blunt about it, more direct about it, because if we're going to pussyfoot about that, then we're going to we're going to end up not having any solution. So we have to become more blunt. The younger people have to wake up and become more blunt. The colleges, the races have to become more integrated, and saying we're not going to be at war with each other. It's going to have to start with young people. And I hope that I live long enough to see that day coming. But if not, I hope the future of you young people will be peaceful and not one of war. Thank you for your time, Robert. You got it, BJ. Listen, the one disagreement I would have in anything that he just said is the idea that it would be a black versus white race war. I don't believe that would be the sides if there were to be a civil war of that type. Because to me, 
the most dangerous people on the side of the quote-unquote Black Lives Matter potential violent side of of um, uh, you know of, you know of a two-sided war are white liberals. White liberals are the ones who start most of the trouble for the black community. In the black community and in a potential perceived standoff, if you will, with the quote-unquote white community, it's white liberals who are the, the instigators of so much. Look at the Black Lives Matter riots of 2020. There were as many white liberals just about as there were blacks. There were rampaging and Antifa, white Antifa members who consider themselves to be Marxist just as the uh, the Black Lives Matter crowd does. So if there's a war to come, the type of which that I, I join BJ in begging the Lord, our creator, to, to head off, if there was to be such a war, it would be divided on ideological lines, not on race lines. Yeah, it would be, you know, there would largely be that, you know, that critical race theory you know, um, that division between uh, the the offenders and the offended or the oppressors and the oppressed and so forth. Yeah, a lot of that would be drawn on racial lines, but it would be an ideological war of right versus left more than white versus black. Because I think white liberals are the ones who are pushing the buttons more so than even so many of the black leaders that are that are that are of that type of mind. I think that's reality. All right, two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. We'll be back. Waking up America from its woke slumber. Always right radio with Bob Frantz on the Answer. Okay, eleven thirty three. Final segment of the morning. We've got O'Reilly coming up at forty five. The ticket of the top of the hour. Uh, cursing out tomorrow. Don't forget to so make sure you're here for that. Uh, I guarantee we're going to get into the Hunter Biden story, the David Weiss appointment, and things that we did not talk about today uh, for uh, reasons of choice. Like I said, I wanted to hammer home what's going on with our city. I wanted to get hyper local today, and what's going on with the city of Cleveland affects the city of. Of, of Westlake, the city of Strongsville, the city of, of Beachwood, the city of Garfield Heights, Bedford Heights, the entire, uh, you know, metropolitan area is affected by the trash operation of the city of Cleveland. And I don't mean sanitation. I mean the leadership of the city of Cleveland is trash. From Justin Bibb to the safety director, Kerry Howard, and what they're doing to the police in this city is worth our discussion. Uh, let's go to the phones. Uh, Kathy in uh, Middleburg Heights. Hi, Kathy. Thank you for waiting. You're on the air. Fire away. Hi, Bob. That survey you were talking about, I yes. call BS on that. Uh-oh. Because okay. these people do these surveys and they come out and say, 30 million people said this. Well, what was the age of the people? Where did you take this survey? What were the questions asked? We don't get enough information. I put very little stock into surveys, especially one like this where he's saying millions of people. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously, surveys don't survey millions. They survey what's called, you know, a sample size, depending on whether it's a large sample size or whatever, and then they uh, protract that out into the various communities and say this percentage of which leads to this many. Now, um, to your point, specifically, um, I didn't read you all of the specifics about the survey because it would take too long to do. They do have yeah. the link to the entire survey listed, so they're not they're not hiding it. Um, they have, like I said, uh, you know, this, this survey was conducted, um, let me see here, 
the graphic representation national nationally representative survey on understanding support for political violence in America quarterly survey of U.S. a quarterly survey so it's a routine one apparently of U.S. adults 18 and over margin of error is plus or minus 2.3 uh, this was carried out from September again because it's quarterly. So this is for September of 21 to June of 23, uh, conducted by the University of Chicago Project on Security and Threats Research Center. So all of the specifics are there. This isn't just like, hey, we asked 10 people on the street and then projected that out to 30 million people. This is a pretty, this is a pretty, first of all, it's routine. It looks like it's done every quarter. And second of all, it looks like it's pretty comprehensive. So, the numbers are the numbers are alarming. You know, if, even if they were off by a factor of you know of of, of five or so, even if, even if fifteen or twenty million people, based on such surveys and projected numbers, if they they said political force or excuse me violence is is um, acceptable to, to to achieve your political gain, we'd still be in trouble, wouldn't we? We would. I, I just I, that's that's a lot of. It's people, alarming. I know I it is. It's it's a lot, and I, I just I I am extremely skeptical with surveys. I've never been surveyed. I hear all these surveys. I call BS on most of them. And, and University of Chicago, uh, I don't know. <laughs> well, don't it's Chicago? Uh, don't, yeah, don't. Yeah, I was going to say the city of Chicago is the city of Chicago. But but here's the thing, and this is the reason I don't call so much BS on this one. If I were to make a, you know, judge a book by its cover, as you just did, by saying Chicago, come on, University of Chicago, it's a you know, radical leftist university, probably in a radical leftist city like Chicago. But here's the thing that makes this one interesting. They found more people on the left would be, would be willing to commit violence than people on the right. 30 million, again, based on the percentages protracted out, uh, 30, 30 million would, would go and commit violence in order to stop Donald Trump from taking over again. Um, and 18 million would, would commit violence to get him back in again. So it's, it's a pretty, uh, it's not balanced insofar as that it's 50 50, but I mean, it, it's, they're willing to say, and the man who, con- who conducted it and who ran it, David Pape, Professor David Pape, he's, he's literally saying what is pro, pro, projected by the media as being an alt-right problem of violence in America is not. It crosses to both sides of the ideological spectrum. When I see something like that coming from a University of Chicago, taking that into into account like you just did, I tend to give it more credibility than less. Hmm. Okay. You see what Who's I'm saying? Because they're not, because they're yeah. not throwing the right under the bus, the way most mainstream media and most uh, type surveys do. When you see surveys being done by, you know, the CNN slash ABC poll or the, you yeah. know, uh, the NBC, you know, Washington Post and NBC and all of these things that we know are push polls, I'm with you. I take most of those with a grain of salt and I kind of, you know, yeah. cast them aside because I don't trust their veracity. But in this case, this isn't, you know, a mainstream media survey. Uh, it is much bigger and more widespread, and again, it's done by a, uh, a research, you know, research uh, researcher and political scientist at a university who found more violent tendencies in this matter on the left. And so, I, I kind of feel like this is one of the few that maybe you look at it and say, "We got a problem here." You know, this might be more. Did 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 the survey indicate what what his definition of violence was? 
I mean, is he talking about two people sitting down? The, the, on word, the word actually and... isn't violence. The word actually isn't violence. It's force. Use of force on behalf of their political agenda. So, you know, I'm taking the word force to mean physical force, not, you know, uh, emotional force or rhetorical force or debate. You know, when they say force, we're, we're talking about violence as far as I'm concerned. It's just, and they're using it the troubles word me because it's 10. Yeah, it's tens of millions that they're claiming. That's what troubles me. Me too. That, that's, a, that's a lot. Yeah. That's why I took that. That's why I brought the story to the air. When I read the story, I, you know, I mean, I see so many of these kind of things where I, I dismiss it as being very one very small snapshot. But again, when we're talking about we're talking about um, you know tens of millions on a percentage basis, uh, it was certainly worth our attention. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, I'll have to look. Well, that thank up. you. Yeah, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. So let me let me give you a little bit more on this uh, on this report since you brought it up. The dangers to democracy report indicates that a growing number of Americans support the use of political. Oh, they did use the word violence here before it was force. Now it's violence. Okay, political violence as the 2024 presidential campaign heats up and further indictments of Trump are probably imminent. And that's true. By the end of this week, we'll have the Georgia indictment. So we'll have all four of them in front of us anyway. Robert Pape, I think I said David, my apologies. Robert Pape, University of Chicago professor, professor who led the research, said the indictment is radicalizing support for Trump, but that's not the only source of radicalization. You're seeing growing anger and radicalization on the left as well. This is why I give this a little more credibility. Most of them aren't, aren't willing to say that. The number of Americans who believe the use of force is justified to restore Trump to the White House increased by roughly 6 million in the last few months to an estimated 18 million, according to the survey conducted by the university in late June. Of those 18 million, 68% of them believe the 2020 election was stolen. 62% believe the prosecutions of Trump are intended to hurt his chances in 2024. An estimated 7% of Americans now believe violence could be necessary to restore Trump to the presidency, which is up from 4.5%, or 12 million people, in April. But over the same period, Trump's general favorability slightly decreased among Republicans, according to the survey. The university's Chicago Project on Security and Threats Research Center has been conducting this Dangerous to Democracy survey of Americans on political violence and attitudes toward democracy since shortly after the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. January 6th, 2021. So they've been doing this quarterly ever ever since then. The most recent report marks the first increase in radical violent support for Trump since April of 2022, according to PAPE. The public is more radicalized than it was in April, and it's really quite significant. We've been tracking this a while, and this is a really big bump. Still, a radicalized public isn't enough for actual violence to occur, he said. He compared the support, I played this for you, to kindling, which could be, of course, sparked and lead to a, to a much more raging fire, probably a bad metaphor to use, in light of uh, Maui. Democrats, however, have expressed support for political violence for a different purpose. The survey found the support for the use of force or to coerce members of Congress to do what they consider to be the right thing, which is stop Trump, <clears throat> grew from 9% in January to 17% in June. An estimated 44 million Americans by the end of June with the sharpest rise among Democrats. Support for violence to restore the federal right to an abortion also increased during this time. And I should point that out, too. 
It's more than just the, the Trump question here. In this survey were, would you believe the use of force is justified to, here are the list, protect the voting rights of black Americans and other minorities, ensure members of Congress and other government officials, quote, do the right thing, restore the federal right to abortion, prevent Donald Trump from becoming president, prevent the teaching of CRT in schools, preserve the rights of whites, prevent the prosecution of Trump. Those are some of the categories that were measured by this. And when you take the percentage and project it out to the the general population, that's where they're getting their 40 million plus and 18 million plus willing to use force in order to achieve their political goal vis-a-vis Donald Trump. That's it. All for today, thanks to uh, you, thanks to Seth and Marianne and Marcy, my team. And uh, don't forget, I'll be on the Seth Williams podcast this afternoon about 4 o'clock. Make sure you look that up on social media or The Seth Williams Show online. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day. Be well, be safe. Bye-bye. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.